the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Week is brought to you by our fine group of underwriters, companies like Vadio. This is AV Week, episode 206, recorded Wednesday, July 29th, 2015, Transatlantic. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. Uh, we're doing it a little bit different this week, a little bit early, uh, mainly because the, the two gentlemen that we have on as our panelists are not in the States. They're not in the Central Time Zone or the Pacific or the Eastern. They are in Germany and UK, respectively. First up, my buddy, my pal, the guy I've been trying to hire for over a year, Mr. Patrick Murray. How are you, sir? I'm great, Tim. How are you today? Patrick is a fabulous uh, programmer for Control House uh, Systems Design. Also, you may have recognized his lovely face from uh, Infocom this year and the AV GUI at the uh, at the Innovation Showcase. So, you doing good? Hanging in there, getting ready to launch AV GUI. Working real hard at it. So, yeah, we're going to talk about that here in a second. So, okay. Uh, also with us uh, from Lucid Partnership is Adrian Lloyd Owen. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, Tim. Thank you for inviting me along today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, so this is what we're going to do. It, it, this is just still AV week. We're still going to go over the news and information, uh, but we're going to get it from a, a little bit different perspective, uh, as it were. One thing that I, I learned uh, at uh, ISC this year, we went to ISC for the first time, was just it, it, it's, it's still AV, right? You still have connectors. You still have issues. You still have programmers. Um, but it's a, it's a different environment. It's a different culture. And so I just kind of wanted to do something different for this week. So, uh, all right, first up, what we've got is uh, from our, well, from all over, actually. This this specific uh, story comes to us from Engadget. Toshiba CEO is quitting after the company lied about $1.2 billion in profits. $1.2 billion in profits. Uh, so, Patrick, first and foremost... It, when it comes to the culture of of Japan and the fact that th this is a this has been a bigger cultural issue and a bigger cultural story in Japan than it has been anything, but for AV and for you know the fact that you have a company like Toshiba who's been around forever and a day, losing money hand over fist to the tune of over a billion dollars, uh, what does that mean for their future and and for their place in the industry? Well. Obviously, they're going to clean house, and uh, there'll be some new people involved. So I don't know what it means for the future. It's pretty scary that they could get away with it for that long. Um, they're obviously under a lot of pressures as far as currency and things like that go. They were the early adopters of this corporate government reform and um, didn't exactly work out as uh, intended. So we'll see how it works out for them. All right, Adrian, from your perspective, what does it mean for kind of the future of Toshiba? Patrick's right, they got away with something uh, for a long time that they probably shouldn't have. Uh, it's, so what does it mean for them? It staggers me that any corporate can uh, can get away with that kind of bad housekeeping, but it does happen. Um, 
what's going to be difficult for them, like any other company now, is finding an innovative way back. Because, you know, it's one thing to have reducing profits, but when you've made a significant loss, that's a huge thing to pull back. And it can take, you know, three or four times as long to get rid of that loss before you're back into profit again. How's anybody going to have any confidence in them? It's not going to make anybody in the AV industry confident about buying products for them if there's the potential risk that the support's going to disappear. You know, people want long-term maintenance contracts and long-term product safety these days. It's a key part of, of corporate um, buying and, and procurement plans. So, you know, if there's a risk that the company's not going to be around in three years' time to support a key product, let's not buy it. Let's buy somebody else's that we know has got a more stable uh, economy. And that creates an interesting little... Um... Uh, an interesting conundrum because you're right. As people, you know, as they start losing confidence, they're going to stop buying, which would increase their losses. Almost, yeah, it, right? it just gets worse from here. It's, it's. I mean, you know, I don't want to be the harbinger of doom, but it's, uh, it's, it's all looking pretty bleak, and uh, they, they could well be uh, going down the tube, or they may, may decide to just focus on a sector that's less concerned about corporate identity you know if they concentrate on on the more consumer electronic side perhaps where it's going to individuals rather than to larger larger reintegrators that might be a safer bet for them it's also a little bit more risky bet because those margins are, are traditionally a, a lot thinner all right, let's jump around here for a couple minutes. Uh, first of all, Biamp is and Infocom has gotten together for an AVIT educational series. Uh, basically, when you look at these, these are all of the different uh, Infocoms around the world. You've got one in Mumbai, uh, you've got one in Chile, uh, not in Chile, but Chile's there's not an Infocom in Chile, but you've got one in, uh, in Brazil, you've got another one in China. Um, Adrian, for, from your standpoint, what exactly do we need to know at this point when it comes to AV and IT, uh, and AV living on an IT infrastructure? Oh, it's a it's a regular daily conversation for our team. We do an awful lot of corporate work, and and I don't mean that to exclude the residential market, but yeah. the the challenge is specifically around security. Uh, and I was giggling yesterday about the uh, the issue with uh, with the carjacking, but. <laughs> to come come back to this, the the AVIT integration is is creating the requirement for lots more knowledge, for lots more understanding of what's going on, and you have to be able to have detailed conversations with uh, very risk adverse IT managers and uh, department security officers who want to know everything about the stuff you're connecting and. We're going through a process for one client now where we're having to have everything vetted. All the products have got to be certified as okay to go on their network and some of these things they've never seen before. And it's it creates a, a conversation that ideally most programmers are able to adopt, but I'm not sure that um, necessarily salespeople or project managers have the wherewithal to, to answer those questions. So it makes our, our programming life easier when we can get onto a single network, but at the same time, it, creates huge challenges for uh, for what responsibilities you're taking on in terms of security. Even just, you know, getting getting your own laptop onto a site so that you can plug into a network, that's that's not an easy path anymore. No. Take me through that process of, of getting that stuff vetted, uh, especially if they've never seen it before. What does so, it look like? 
Yeah, in the first instance, uh, they're going to want the basic corporate details and what security credentials does the product come with? Can it deal with uh, authentication? Can it deal with encryption? Can it access their Active Directory network? Those kind of simple specification details, and you can get that information quickly enough. Then they're going to want to know in detail what kind of communication protocols you're going to use, port numbers, uh, protocol types, what systems does it need to interface with? Is it going outside of the building, outside of the campus, or is it just going to talk locally? Once they've established what the likely and allowable communication protocols are, then they're going to do a penetration test on it, and they're going to throw everything they can at it to see if there's any way to get inside that box through a port that you didn't mention, a port they don't like the idea of. Uh, and once they've done that, they're going to decide if they can launch something from it. You know, can they run an executable on that box without permission? Those kind of things. It's it's a detailed process. They have time to do it. Uh, we recently uh, scared the guys at, uh, at one corporate there when we said, well, you know, there's um, there's about 50 new products here that you've never seen before, and you're going to have to penetrate t penetration test all of these in the next two months, and it's a big ask for them. Oh wow! Absolutely. Uh, but it's also important too. I mean, that's 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 a little bit more robust than than what I'm used to to hearing about. But but that's actually something that that we can take away and and maybe start implementing. So, thank you. All right, Mr. Patrick, what do we need uh, to know from a IT and AV standpoint at this point? Well, I'm all for education, so as much as you could learn, the better. But um, I'm always looking at why would our system need to be on a corporate LAN. And the big driver that I see right now is um, things like Fusion and Room View. So if you want to monitor it from their LAN, then it obviously needs to be on their system. So, But if you could isolate it, that removes a lot of friction as far as troubleshooting and getting the system up and running and, and managing your own LAN. What are the benefits and, and, and maybe the drawbacks as well uh, of, of doing it on their LAN exclusively or maybe creating a, a separate VLAN and then making a connection between the two of those? Um, VLANing is, is an important way to, uh, to get that segregation and to provide you with some level of security. But if you're going to have to intercommunicate, let's suppose, uh, I mean, you mentioned BIAMP there. So... Uh, AV uh, controlling uh, DSP systems and the DSP may be using uh, a, uh, an audio distribution system that's over IP. If that's the case, then um, there's a requirement to have those two things to talk to each other. And in doing so, then you're opening up pinholes in the uh, in the VLANs, and then you might be getting an awful lot of traffic. At which point, you you know you can get to a situation where the VLANs become uh, almost obsolete because you've created so many pathways through the two VLANs that you might as well have st stuck your device on the secure network. But um, DSP, uh, particularly things like QSIS and uh, I, I suppose BIAMP to some degree and, and others and uh, and Polycom and, and Link is another one then, talking to Link systems and, and having those communication paths. So Patrick's right. If you can isolate, that's uh, that's a good thing, and and keep your own little domain, and and nobody's on your back about what you're doing. But with the integration levels that they want now, I'm I'm finding it increasingly difficult to to, to stay isolationist. Mm, that makes sense, Patrick. From your standpoint, yeah, absolutely. It is becoming more difficult, and that's just something you need to take into account when you're planning a project. How you're going to get it installed on site and tested, and what kind of support you need. Like, will the IT guy be there? to help you out if, if things aren't working properly. Um, on more than one occasion, we've built our own little network just to prove that things work properly. And then 
you know, you plug things back into their switch and, and uh, things aren't communicating. So it's definitely a challenge and it needs to be planned for. That's always a wonderful conversation to, yeah. <laughs> to have. This works on my own private network. When I plug it into yours, it yeah. stops working. Yeah. Explain that to me, please. Uh, all right, from uh, from our buddies over at uh, AV Magazine, we met these guys at uh, at Infocom this year. Great guys. Uh, Avenue launches bright sign built-in digital displays. Now, I know you guys don't inherently do digital signage. That's not why I'm not I'm not sandbagging you, but this is freaking cool, and and this is where I want to go with this. Um, it, it's two companies that are are kind of you know integrating in, in, in together, and Patrick. Not only do you program, but you you do have the AV GUI. Um, and when are you launching that, by the way? Uh, middle to end of August. Okay. So AV GUI is is a great little uh, app that runs on a you know a, on a, a mobile device. You can program or, or configure. Good lord! Well, you had AMX and and Crestron. You were showing the the all in one right. boxes. Yeah. So. If you like collaborated with Crestron or AMX or either one, you know, and kind of got together, this is kind of what this is. Um, when it comes to getting two companies together, though, Patrick, how do we, you know, how do we make sure that not only they are taken care of, but they start creating products that we want? I mean, this is cool to me, right? You've got two companies that get it. They that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but and and they did it right and and everything like that. But when it comes to, let's say, I don't know, um, I don't want to put ideas in, in corporate's head, but you know, when it comes to two other companies, you know, how, how maybe it's it comes down to talking with their engineers. But how do we make sure that that stuff like this continues to happen, and companies continue to work together? Just listen to your customers. Do some market research. Trade shows are great, and just keep talking and and listen to what kind of problems are people are having and. Um, what kind of solutions are needed. I really think it's great when two different companies come together and work with their strengths to come up with a solution that the market really needs. Uh, Adrian, from your standpoint, is that is that the deal where, where you just make sure that you're you're listening to your clients, you're listening to your customers, not just the integrators, but also the end, the actual end users? I think end users are more likely to be the drivers uh, of, of this kind of collaboration because the uh, the larger companies need necessarily to find new and innovative products and that can often mean coming up with things that people haven't thought of so they go away they listen see what's uh, see what people are saying well I don't like this I don't like that so how can we come up with something new I mean there's two uh, I, I don't want to go into uh, advertising for anybody but there's two large products that have come out in the last three years uh, one for uh, for just doing a conference calling with uh, all in one box kind of thing, and we're, we've all seen those uh, taking place, and that involved a huge amount of partnership between. Initially, there was I think three vendors that were reselling the uh, the link idea, and then now the uh, the uh, the surface uh, and and the hub thing, and you see there's some collaboration there with some different partners. Uh, I, I understand that uh, they uh, they were announcing last week that. Um, Microsoft is going to be doing some collaboration with AMX and bringing in their side. And those kind of collaborations, I think, uh, are the way forward where, like the monitor and the software here, you're bringing things that otherwise were always seen as uh, disconnected and, and something that the integrator had to do. Uh, getting those products integrated at a manufacturer level gives people... Uh, well, gives me some more confidence that any glitches are going to be ironed out quickly. You're going to get to the top of the, the queue of bugs because it's it's a corporate level 
uh, agreement, a partnership, not just something that somebody's tried to do. You know, custom electronics always suffers from the possibility that great people with good ideas are trying to come up with new solutions but we don't get the backing generally of the manufacturers when we try and do something they didn't think of. Oh, we never thought the box would be used like that. That's, no, that's not going to work. Um, and, you know, you, you're left on your own. And that's fine if, you, if you're enjoying the, the challenge of making those new concepts work. But getting something that's, uh, that's well thought through and is supported all the way through the, uh, uh, through the technology support path of, uh, of, of two corporates has got to be a way forward. I think we'll see much more of it. You mentioned the, the the Surface Hub, and I, I want I want to kind of drill down on that for a second. Um, does it take away from collaboration like that because because you've got a, a company like like Microsoft, who at at Infocom this year, mm -hmm. um, Questron made 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 some hay about the fact that that they had this this integrated system and this integrated partnership with Microsoft, and they were showing it at at, at their booth at Infocom. And now Microsoft comes out and says, hey, you know, we're also doing this with AMX. Does that prevent maybe some partnerships from happening saying, hey, wait a minute. Now, what, you're, you're, you're partnering with my, with my competition here. You know, what, what's the deal here? Or is it just, you know what, let's, let's get innovation moving forward? I think it's, it's really about getting innovation moving forward. And I think that's very positive because, you know, there are different strategies and, and different uh, expectations from those kind of competitors. Uh, it's necessary to have that original uh, original ideas coming through. So no, I think that's, that's really positive. I don't think anybody should be concerned about those two uh, those two people talking to the to the same lead company. You know, um, it, it they're all members of the um, HD based T uh, alliance. You know, it's it's yeah. the same kind of conversation really. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, Patrick, from your standpoint, I mean, you you've got both AMX and, and Crestron for AV GUI, and and you program both. So is it is it you know okay? I guess the the best way to ask this to to talk to to competing uh, companies. Sure, why not? I mean, the need is there to control these things, and like we're seeing with the the AV new and the digital signage, that that things are becoming more integrated as a product. So. As a lead manufacturer, I guess Microsoft would want to to in integrate with as many manufacturers as they could. So any kind of partnership like that, where it just strengthens the product, bringing these things together. All right, very good. Uh, all right, we're going to uh, head over and talk about stop talking about products for a second and get a little bit more, um, I, I guess, uh, fifty thousand foot view. Uh, our buddy Dan Newman wrote a piece in Commercial Integrator: Why Small Business Should Look to the Cloud. A growing number of small businesses are investing in cloud computing, but many are still hesitant. Here's how to turn the tide and quell any fear of the cloud. Patrick, I am obviously going to start with you on this one because uh, not only are you a programmer, but the uh, but the AV GUI is is you know a cloud-based solution because uh, you can save your 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 presets and you can save um, your configuration to the website eventually once you have it loaded up. What are the drawbacks, I guess, or what are some of the, the fears that smaller companies may have when it comes to putting things uh, on somebody else's server on, on you know, in the cloud? Well, I'm a bit paranoid myself, so I like to make a backup anyway. And even with the AV okay. GUI stuff, we'll be pulling that down like every day or every week and making a, a, an offsite backup of it backup of it. So I think a little bit of paranoia is okay because if something happens, where's my stuff? That's the big fear. So if you make a hard backup, but there's a lot of uh, 
convenience and efficiency to be able to distribute data between teams or to your customers by using the cloud. It's, it's just there when you need it, which is a, a really cool thing. And I think the development opportunities are really amazing because the same tools that Microsoft and Amazon and all these big companies use, anybody could use them and it doesn't cost anything to test with it. And once, once it starts costing money, that means you're doing a lot of cloud stuff and you should have some kind of product that's uh, turning a profit. So it's really incredible the opportunity that's out there to start developing with cloud services. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Adrian, from your standpoint, you know, what are, what are some of the, you know, the, the drawbacks and or the benefits of, of using cloud computing? I've seen mostly benefits over the uh, 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 10 years or so that I've been working as an independent programmer, having the ability to easily share uh, live code and uh, and completed code with clients and with with collaborators. That's that you know you used to struggle. There was a time when we were concerned about how many uh, whether we could fit all of our code onto a disk and send it to somebody. I'm showing my age now, but um, the the ability to collaborate online and share things with uh, a distributed team. You've been working with Patrick, I know a lot, and, and Patrick, some miles away from you. The ability for you guys to collaborate must be extremely useful. Similarly, uh, we have a team that's distributed all over the UK in four locations, uh, and you've got guys on site, and you can, you you know, collaborating live online is, is quite practical now. You can you can desktop share, or you can, you can send up some files to the cloud and get them back down. I think it's, it's also, from a business point of view, uh, applications like drawing applications, uh, documents, uh, presentations, even accounting stuff. We use a huge amount of uh, online software, and it's much more portable uh, from our perspective. It's more cross-platform cross, cross friendly, uh, and it also uh, it is cheaper to use. You, know, you can buy online software much cheaper than you can buy off-the-shelf software. Well, let's be honest here. I mean, we're, we're using Google Hangouts, which is a, which is a cloud-based yep. uh, solution, right? It's a cloud-based VTC solution, let, you know, let's be honest. And it's free, and it records to YouTube, and it's all one kinds of wonderful stuff. So, There you go. The article said that uh, a lot of people don't know that they're using the cloud when they're using Correct. it. And I think yeah. that's a perfect implementation. That, that's a great design when you're using something and you don't even know about it. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true, yeah. Uh, was it Microsoft um, 360? You can start, you know, you can utilize um, different Microsoft Office products now, and it's all cloud-based. You know, yeah, you can have a local, um, a local copy of it, but you're going to have, you know, the, the ability to to share and and collaborate. It's a wonderful, wonderful product. So, all right, uh, let's get over to Infocom. Infocom is is getting ready to do their 2015 AV market, AV vertical market study. Uh, the global end-user perspective, who's buying the goods and services across the globe, uh, what are the purchase decision criteria for end-users, and how has convergence impacted end-user investments in technology? Uh, Adrian, uh, from the UK and, and from the areas that you cover, uh, first question is, is the last one we asked. Uh, from a, a global perspective, how has convergence between IT and AV uh, impacted Who's who's making those decisions, and, and what and what sort of decisions they're making? There's a a definite uh, change in who wants to make the decisions. So even if you take uh, questions about uh, a link or, or or surface, there are now IT people who are seeing the AV budget as something that they can leverage, uh, and they're going, okay, now this is an IP product. It's primarily an IP product, so we're going to want to have a conversation with the manufacturers. 
I know uh, there's a, a large number of uh, IT specialists who are now coming over to ISE regularly because they see that as something that they can uh, leverage to increase their skill set or maybe just to uh, to increase their I suppose the strengthen their foothold in the, in the departments you know IT people have historically had the biggest budgets for all the infrastructure equipment and um, and they I think they're going to drive uh, drive a lot of the uh, the purchasing now so decisions are are more more leveraged by the uh, by the IT people or, uh, or more than they used to be in the past anyway uh, Patrick, from your guys' standpoint, what, uh, who's making these decisions now, and, and, and what are they making them about? Well, the IT guys are definitely getting more involved for obvious reasons. Things like Link um, definitely falls under their domain, but even the monitoring systems, it's uh, like RoomView and Fusion, those are tools that they're kind of familiar with, and they'll be the ones who are working with them after the fact, so they really are even more interested in how the systems work because of that. Um, once you show this to them and it's going to run on a server and they understand that and then they see the interface, it looks like a database because it is. And uh, it's something that they're familiar with, which generates some interest and uh, it kind of opens the door to the conversation with uh, the IT guys. Well, it actually kind of goes back to the, the cloud conversation we just had. I mean, both uh, AMX has had their cloud RMS for a while and now Crestron is getting into the same thing with, with Fusion. Uh, in the cloud, so you know they all kind of part and parcel of the whole thing. So, all I've right. seen. Uh, a, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say I've seen a, a couple of inquiries from large uh, data support uh, companies who want to uh, bring the AV monitoring under what is already an IT monitoring service that they have, and I've had a couple of conversations with people about trying to bridge that gap. They they see the AV support as a way of extending their uh, their market sector. Oh wow! Okay. That makes sense. Um, our, our buddy uh, Steve Greenblatt, who who hosts um, uh, a state of control, uh, has written a piece in uh, or on, on avnetwork.com. Uh, Let's see if I can bring it up here. Uh, talking about technicians needing updating, um, he says that as our industry has transitioned into the era of digital video, network communications, and IP control, the skill set needed to test, troubleshoot, and commission AV systems successfully has evolved. So. Adria, um, how do you keep your how do you keep your 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 team up to date? I mean, we, we are we have moved from, you know, for years and years and years it was, um, you know, for ADI video for you know from nineteen you know, you know from you know, from the early days of television on all, yeah. all the way up through the end of the nineties, and then suddenly it's like holy cow, you have ten eighty p you know seven twenty, and then you have ten eighty i and ten eighty p, and now we've got four k and the various flavors of 4k um, so, how do we how do we keep them updated yeah it's it's not easy um, interestingly um, in the time that I've been running uh, lucid we've looked at strategies for recruitment and trying to take people from a predominantly programming or an IT background and and bring them into the AV environment and we've tried uh, also bringing people from a more traditional engineering AV installer background who have a a desire to get into programming, heaven knows why, and, and bring them uh, some programming training. I've actually found it much more successful to take people with an AV understanding uh, and teach them programming than the other way around. And I think that's still true now with the need to understand more about IT and digital communications. Um, you've got to keep up regular training. There's, there's no other way around it, but you've 
you can't be sure what information you're going to need. A comment I made earlier about being challenged by uh, IT department managers about the protocols you're using or the uh, the communications you want to have and the security features. These are detailed understanding or these conversations, the detailed understanding, and it's not readily available. Masters level programmers get a good review this year in for. Um, Crestron's Masters 2015 had yeah. some good information about security and what's available, but these things don't necessarily translate uh, internationally either. Um, I've suggested to some uh, some people that Crestron have got some great security uh, declarations and certificates in the U.S. and and they weren't quite so keen to uh, to take that at face value. They wanted to do their own research, as I say. So training manufacturers maybe they can provide more training, but it always tends to be a little bit. Uh, specific about their product. I think uh, Infocom can provide uh, training tools for uh, IT professionals, uh, AV professionals, to uh, to understand where the uh, where the crossover is. And I think that's that's something that Infocom has been doing well for a long time. But I think we need to uh, I think we need to change the the syllabus on some of the uh, more traditional courses and uh, help people along. It it is all just about regular regular training. You mentioned the fact that some of those security um, did not translate well um, from the U.S. to the to the U.K. Why is that? Um, specifically, uh, because uh, there are different standards in place. I mean, nobody nobody knocked a hole in it or anything, but to say that um, a product had a, a U.S. A military certification didn't necessarily mean it was going to meet uh, a European bank's security. Uh, yeah verification methods you know they had their own standards to adhere to so you they couldn't just take it at face value it was a good starting point I'm wondering though is, is if somebody like you know I don't know IEEE or somebody like that um, could come up with one that that we could all kind of agree on because you you do have multinational corporations that not just you know Crestron but you've got Cisco and you've got you know other corporations that make products that they ship, you know, throughout the world, and, and knowing things like that would, I think, be helpful, you know. And, and, and I don't know if it's Infocom, I don't know who it is, but but you know, having us all kind of come together and say, you know what, you know, Barclays has this level of security, you know, Bank of America has this, you know. I yeah, I mean, those those companies, stringent. for example, those transatlantic companies are, are good examples where uh, yeah. they clearly uh, have to deal in uh, in different conversations, and they must be, uh, they must have a standard set of rules, uh, and and maybe they, uh, you're right those uh, more disconnected, more independent bodies would be uh, better suited to provide the, uh, the level of certification and guarantees that people are looking for. Yeah. yeah. All right, Patrick, uh, how do you guys, how do you keep your guys uh, trained and updated on, on what's going on in, in the world of AV? Um, like Adrian was saying, as a programmer, you don't stand a chance unless you know about IT. So it's just constant, yeah, reading, 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 always trying to keep up on the latest thing. And every once in a while, you bump up against something that you don't know that you should, and that's the opportunity to learn about it. So um, the article was talking about technicians, and uh, I started about as a technician, so and I was always curious about this stuff. And I really, it seems kind of odd to me that an AV tech isn't curious about how this stuff works. But... Um, Maybe uh, two different job descriptions are needed. Like the, yesterday on a state of control, Steve was talking about a field engineer. So maybe you have a field engineer and an installer, and maybe in some cases it'll be the same person. But um, there needs to be that training and the incentive and um, the tools. Do you have a laptop, right? Okay. 
let, let's take let's take a step because the, he's Patrick's right, and thank you for mentioning that. We we talked about um, uh, testing and, and troubleshooting, and when it comes to control systems on the on state of control, and that should be up today or tomorrow. Um, who is that? Right? I mean, <laughs> that, that that whole show kind of came about from a, a conversation Steve and I were having. Because I'm an independent programmer, you guys are independent programmers. This almost could be a state of control, oddly enough. Um, we run into it, right? At the end of that, where you, you, as the independent programmer, just because it says AMX on the box, that's suddenly, you know, our bailiwick, right? Regardless of whether it's a digital signage player or an ANOVA or, you know, an actual, an actual controller. Um, but when we got into this conversation, you know, Patrick, what is it? What what is it that the programmer should be doing, and what is it that maybe you know a technician or, or field tech or, or or who whatever you want to call that person, that they that what is it that they should be doing? I mean, you mentioned the laptop. You know, ten years ago, you didn't have to have a laptop to do a lot of what folks do now. Um, I think Bernard mentioned it on on the show, even with DSPs, right, with with audio control. You know, 15 years ago, you had freaking knobs, and now there are no knobs. You look at a, at, a, at, a, at a DSP, it's a beautiful blank plate, nothing. You're doing nothing in that box without a laptop, right? But is that the programmer's problem, or is that the you know, problem? But is that is that their job responsibility, or is that, that a technician's? Um, to me, that falls under project management. So you get a job, and what are the steps the to PM's completion? supposed to do that? No, he's not <laughs> supposed to do it, but he's got to make a list of all the tasks, right? Yeah, so what you. are the tasks? How do we get to completion? And then who's going to do it? And that needs to be communicated. If you're subbing out the GUI design or the programming, then that, that's on your task list too. Is there DSP programming? Who's going to update, update the firmware and set IP addresses? It's pretty easy to make a list and, and just uh, assign those tasks to whoever's going to do it, but it needs to be thought about and planned for on a case-by-case -case basis. Some companies don't have the talent or the resources to do those things, and other companies do. Other companies have great techs who could do everything, and the programmer just shows up and tests his code. So you just need to account for these different situations and plan for it. All right, Adrian, from, from your company, who, who is supposed to be doing what? I like Patrick. I, I like to have a good conversation with the project manager and decide, uh, divvy up the uh, the responsibilities early on. One of the things I've I've seen uh, over the last maybe two to three years significantly is that um, AV integrators are struggling to find people with the right skill sets uh, to fill those holes where you know there's a guy who can configure audio and he's he's great pair of ears and, and he can uh, get all the wiring right but he's maybe not so hot on the DSP side so he needs some training but which training course do they send him on does he go on the you know product A product B product C and there's that's a lot of time out of their schedule so what I think is filling the hole here in the UK particularly or at least in London is independent DSP and, and control system programmers who are taking the responsibility on themselves to go to several manufacturers get trained up and then they can offer greater services to their uh, in the same way that you know independent programmers do whether they're Crestron AMX uh, Extron whatever it's the independents who are filling the uh, the technical or the skill set gap uh, mostly at the moment one of the other things that I've seen uh, as an issue is you rightly say so few boxes now arrive with any control that doesn't require a laptop um, and you 
go to the latter stages of any new building commissioning now. The heating guy's got a laptop. The lightning guy's got a laptop. Yep. You know, uh, the guy doing the security access entry system, he's got a laptop. And they're all standing around with, with laptops in their hand or looking for somewhere to purchase. And these are all computer operators. These roles are not site technician roles anymore as they were traditionally. They're all computer operator roles. And, and I have a, a concern that it's being overlooked by the, uh, by the project managers of sites. And they're saying, well, you know, you can't have an office until we've finished building the place so you're just going to have to carry a laptop well that's that's not appropriate you know if you're doing that level of commissioning you need a workbench you need somewhere to work um, anyway it's just a little bugbear of mine that uh, <laughs> we're all computer operators now if we choose to accept it or not the reality is there and, we, and you know we have to bear that in mind when we go to site it's it's a prerequisite well, it is, and I actually didn't even think about it like that, but you're right. I mean, all of us, I mean, I'm trying to think of a trade, probably electricians, but even those it, it, on some level, when you get to the, the level of, of putting in the electrical system, even those guys have, you know, laptops for, for different levels of stuff. So you're right. Um, I, I know that I've programmed, you know, with my laptop on my literal lap before. So, you know, it's not good. The wall. Yeah, it's not good, but, you know, sit on the ground. Cable spool. Cable spool, something. Oh, no, no. <laughs> All right, as we wrap up here, uh, Adrian mentioned the, the Jeep hack. Hacked Jeep, who to blame? This is from the EE Times. Two, actually, one thing real quick. This actually happened in my hometown. Uh, oh, really? And they, they physically did this in, in St. Louis. Um, so it was it was kind of neat. It was it was all over the local news, and obviously it went into other places. Um you're saying they, Tim. I'm, I'm they, quote unquote, <laughs> had nothing to do with this. I really didn't. I wouldn't have the foggiest idea. Um, so th this brings up a, a question of security, obviously, and, and the, the, t the, the piece in the EE Times is talking about you know, who is responsible for this level of security. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, read the, read the piece. But, but basically somebody, not basically, somebody put a, a cell phone in, in a Jeep and dialed it up and hacked into it and was able to control literally every part of the Jeep, including the steering uh, and the acceleration braking, uh, as well as obviously the, the, the infotainment center. So a little bit scary, a little bit interesting. Um, here's the problem, though. And uh, you've got a level of, of security issue. Obviously, somebody breaks into your, your car and can take control of your car uh, without you, you know, doing a darn thing. Um, I want to bring this back to security of control systems, and I have been told by by more than one control manufacturer person, we don't need to worry about you know security in AV because who wants to break into a control system? Quote unquote, right? <clears throat> I have a slight problem with that because the more stuff that we are able to control, the more likely it's going to be that someone wants to break into it. Um, Patrick, how do we make sure that our systems are safe and secure and locked down and somebody can't come in and break in and access something that they shouldn't be through our, our devices? Well, you start with the simple stuff and just passwords. Change the passwords. Don't leave any default passwords. Assign passwords. Uh, don't use port forwarding. Set up a VPN if you need outside access. The simple things like that is a great way to start. 
Um, like with this Jeep problem, I see that as that's an integration issue. Somebody made a decision to connect systems having to do with safety with entertainment systems or with a system that had remote access. And that decision was made. And I think when you're making decisions like that, you need to weigh the risk. Because if there is a bridge between two different systems, then it is technically somehow possible to get through there. In the article, they said, not possible. We guarantee nobody could, could hack it. But somebody did. Thank goodness it was a white hat, right? So it can be acted on. Well, but if, if you're going to put that bridge in there, then the possibility is there too. So is it worth it? And the reasoning was that the manufacturer wanted to monitor the infotainment system. So is it worth it to possibly compromise systems having to do with safety in order to monitor an infotainment system? That's just a question that needs to be answered. Well, and I, I was reading this article and, and watching the news reports from it, and I'm thinking, good Lord, this is like a, a, an episode of CSI waiting to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's right there is, you know, some disgruntled employee or, you know, disgruntled spouse, you know, hacks into their car and crashes it. And, you know, uh, Adrian, you, you, you've already kind of already talked about this, right, where um, when, when you get together with with the IT department of, of your clients and they just hammer the, the, the snot out of out of whatever product you're bringing in uh, beyond that, how do you guys make sure that that the stuff that we're putting on? Uh, folks network is, is secure and locked down. Patrick uh, made the fundamental uh, correct comment, which is that if you want something to be secure, don't connect it. it you know, so if it really matters, yeah. just don't connect it. Secondly, if there's a reason to get information out, that's not the same as getting information in. And I think that's the issue with, with the car here is the firewall should have stopped inbound connections. Outbound data, yeah, fine, but there was no reason to have inbound. The same is is true with uh, with the integrated systems that we work with. Only expose the connections that you need to make sure that uh, that things aren't communicating unnecessarily. VLANs are a good way to start, and even if that's just about reducing traffic load, but it's it's not something to be taken lightly. And um, I suppose residentially, people have got used to the idea of. Uh, you know things like the uh, the thermostats, the the Nest, and, and in the UK it's it's called Hive, or there's a version called Hive that's very popular, and people are uh, are doing that, and they have a you know information going from the house to the cloud, and then up from the mobile device to the cloud. Clients having access to to their house uh, remote control system on their mobile device has always bothered me because it's too easy to lose that device, and then you've given away access to your property and that's very difficult to undo um, as Patrick says having a VPN connection is is a good way to get a secure connection to a house but we come back to this conversation previously um, who's going to set up that network who's going to be responsible for making sure it's a secure VPN connection and not something that's perhaps a little too weak the responsibility lies with the integrator generally they may not have the skill sets to do it it's it's not something that um, I think any of us should take lightly, but it is something we are going to be challenged about. If somebody, let's suppose, was to make a connection from something that had a brand name on it that we were responsible for and then managed to launch an attack onto something else, our industry would, would be in a really bad place. I wouldn't want to be taking a phone call like that. So I'm very keen to make sure everything we do is as squeaky clean as it can be and that you know we're not leaving ourselves open to uh, accusations of, um, of allowing a security breach. 
Absolutely. That's a, that's a good place to, to leave it. Uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Patrick Murray, thank you, sir, uh, for joining us this week on AV Week. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or Control House? Thank you, Tim. You could uh, check me out at Twitter at Control House Info. That's Control H-A-U-S Info. But more interesting for the listeners would probably be the app that's coming out in a few weeks. You could find out more at avgooey.com or avgooey app on Twitter. Yay, avgooey app. Uh, so this is Adrian Lloyd Owen. Thank you so much, sir, from Lucid Partnership. How can people get a hold of you? Well, you can find us at, uh, at our domain, lucidpartnership.co.uk, and it's contact details there. There's a there's a Facebook link on there if you uh, if you want to like us and a, and a Twitter link too. But um, uh, you mostly uh, you'll see me occasionally on uh, on Twitter, but I tend to keep that for uh, for more off the uh, off the record comments. So probably not the best way to get hold of me. <laughs> well, it would be it would be it would be good information and and, and maybe uh, entertaining. How about that? Oh, okay, well, uh, you, you can find me at uh, drtechno underscore UK. There you go. All right. Uh, my name is Tim Mulbright. Don't don't follow me because at this point, it's just counting down the days till football, uh, <laughs> American American football. Um, <laughs> although I do I do in case, you know my my son's getting more into more into into football, so we're we're, we're following that as well. So, uh, but go by the website if you would please avnation.tv avnation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. Patrick mentioned. Uh, the new episode of State of Control uh, that'll be out this week as well. Uh, we have a new Live Life coming down the pipe and also a new Pico uh, projector uh, show coming up as well. Great new uh, blogs and bloggers. Uh, our buddy Josh Rego uh, wrote a couple of new ones, so check those out if you would please. Um, also, check out our underwriter page and, and, and thank our, our nice underwriters who are uh, basically they're, they're giving us money so we can do stuff like this and we can go to, to shows like ISC and Infocom and, and bring you that coverage. So check that out if you would please too. All right, avnation.tv. Avnation.tv, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for watching. This has been AV Week.